Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Delighted to welcome you to worship. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Gospel of John, chapter 14, starting a new sermon series this morning entitled Charismata. Charismata. It is the name of the sermon series. It's also the name of a series we're doing in small groups for the next month. If you've got your Charismata small group guide, your Sunday school book there in front of you, you might open up to the page that says sermon notes and start taking some right now. John chapter 14 is where the sermon will be. Let's talk about the word charismata. That ain't English, people. That is a Greek word. It's a New Testament word uh, that is used frequently uh, to describe a very special part of the Christian life. Charismata is a word that is usually translated spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. But however, literally what the word means is grace gifts. Charis is a Greek word for, for, for grace. So charismata means grace Gifts. So very, very interestingly, the word itself tells you something about what spiritual gifts are. They're grace gifts. In other words, a part of the grace that I receive from God upon becoming a Christian, a part of that grace comes to me in the form of a gift, of a special manifestation of belonging to Christ. Make sense? So grace gifts, a part of the grace that I receive from God when I become a Christian comes to me in the form of something concrete, something practical that God puts in my life. We call it my, my spiritual gift, my grace gift, my charismata, if you use the, the, the Greek word. Charismata means grace gifts. Uh, frequently when we talk about spiritual gifts, however, we get all caught up in, in sort of talents. It becomes sort of like a, a, a talent show at church, and we talk about who can sing and who can play the musical saw and, and all of that sort of thing. And, and that may be a part of it, but I'm afraid that sometimes that language of gift confuses us. So for the next several weeks, let's talk about your spiritual job. Do, do you get that? job. It's a different way of thinking about your gift, but I think it might help you. It gets us past the idea of thinking that I'm supposed to be somehow gifted and talented because that's going to hurt some of us. You understand? We're not all gifted and talented in the ways that, that the world would say. And so think of your, your spiritual gift, your charismata as a divine job, a spiritual job that is assigned. This would be a good time to write, okay? You, write, you know, sermon notes and, and a pen. Uh, write it down. Your, your spiritual gift is a divine job assigned to you by the Holy Spirit for the good of others. All right? So your spiritual gift is what? It's a divine job, a spiritual job assigned to you by who? The Holy Spirit. A, a divine job assigned to you by the Holy Spirit for the good of Others, yeah, the church, his kingdom, but it's not for yourself, it's for others. Your spiritual gift is a divine job assigned by the Holy Spirit for the good of others. When it comes to the New Testament, there are two things that are emphasized with spiritual gifts. You ready for this one? The first one, Paul says, don't be ignorant about them. So look to the person next to you and just say, please don't be ignorant. Go ahead, look. look. You've been wanting to say that a long time. I just thought I'd give you the opportunity. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts and don't be neglectful of your own. Don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts, the Bible says, and don't be neglectful about your own. You can't let your gift, your job, go undone. 
Okay, so if your spiritual gift, your spiritual job is assigned by the Holy Spirit, then the place to begin is with the Holy Spirit in you. And if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you. We're going to talk about that right now in John chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 15. This is, if you know this part of the story, this is Jesus up in the upper room on the night before he is crucified, the night before his death. This is sort of his farewell Uh, address his farewell conversation with his closest friends, with his disciples. In this moment, he talks a little bit about heaven, but for the most part, he talks about the Holy Spirit that is going to come when he goes back to be with the Father. And this is that part of the conversation. John chapter 14, verse 15. These are probably red letters in your Bible. This is Jesus talking. This is what he says. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Be a good verse to underline while you got a pen in your hand. Go ahead. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Underline that word. In, in the New Living Translation, the word is advocate. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the, say the words, Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him. You know who? The Holy Spirit. You know him because he lives with you now and later will be, say the words, in you. He lives with you now, talking to the disciples. This is Jesus talking when he's on earth to his disciples. And he says, the Spirit lives with you now, but later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and, say the words, I am in you. Interesting. Jesus says, I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Now now Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to Jesus, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? And Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocates, underline that, it's there again. When the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So do not be troubled or afraid. I know that when we talk about gifts, you get pretty excited. If you're like me, I don't get a lot of gifts, but when I get them, I I love them. Uh, Who gives the very best gifts in your life? Who, who, Who... 
Who are you most excited to get a present from? Let me say that to you. Who, who would you say in your life? Who gives the best gifts? Pat's pointing to Joe Neal. Joe Neal gives good gifts? Yeah. How do we get on his list? Uh, that's, that's our question. Yeah. What makes Joe Neal such a good gift giver? Joe Neal puts a lot. He's all. Look. He'll give you one gift a year. But he's always thinking about it. Pat says he puts a lot of, look at that giant brain in that head is, is thinking right now, always thinking about, so he puts a lot of thought into what he's going to give. That's interesting. He, he studies you and, and studies and, and tries to decide what, what gift to give. Somebody else, who gives you the very best gifts? Any other thoughts? Santa. Yeah. Santa gives good gifts. It's almost like he knows us, you know? It's almost like he, he, he knows us. And, and that's what I would say. In my life, the people who give the, the best gifts are first off the ones with the most money. Uh, it's always nice to get a gift from somebody who can afford to get you something nice. So you might just say it up front. The person with the, with the, with the deepest pockets can usually give you something pretty good. But also, who else? I'd say the person who who knows me best. I, I love to get uh, gifts from my wife, Casey, because Casey is a person who knows me better than anybody. If she gives me something, it's going to be exactly what I need, whether I know I need it or not. She knows me. She loves me the most. Uh, she gives the very, very best gifts to me. So if we're talking about spiritual gifts, I, I want you to understand we're talking about receiving something from the Lord, from God, who loves you most and knows you best. Loves you most and knows you best. Now let that sink in. He knows you. He loves you. And he delights in giving gifts to you. This is what Scripture says. So if we talk about the fact that God has hidden something in your life, a, a spiritual gift, and that's the first thing you have to wrap your head around. You, you've received something from the God who loves you most and knows you best. And, and while we're at it, if, if we said that the person who gives the best gifts is the one with the most money, God is the one who can give you anything. He, he, he could have given you anything. Your spiritual gift could have been a Porsche. But God who loves you most and knows you best knows that there's something in your life that would be more valuable than even a Porsche or anything else you could ask for or imagine. We're talking about a gift given to you by the one who knows you best and loves you most. Now, now that's pretty amazing to me. So what is the best gift of all? The absolute best gift of all, spiritual gift, physical gift, the very greatest gift of all, what would that be? Jesus, we would say Jesus, the gift that the Father gives Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, absolutely, absolutely. However, it's in the Bible, Luke chapter 11, but it's also printed today at the top of your worship folder. Look at your bulletin right above the morning worship, and there's a, a passage that's printed there from Luke chapter 11. It's pretty good. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children... All right? How much more, how much more will your heavenly Father give? The Holy Spirit, yeah. 
the Holy Spirit is what it says. It doesn't say he'll, he'll, he'll give you everything or he'll give you something great or big. It's, it's how much more. In other words, this is the greatest gift of all, and it comes from God the Father. And at this point, it's not something that, that's just for you. This is the gift that God gives to everyone who believes. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's start right there. The greatest gift of all, the greatest gift that God ever gave you, the greatest gift that you will ever receive is the Holy Spirit. If you earthly parents know how to give your kids something that they would like, something good, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? So right there, the Bible makes clear that the Holy Spirit is himself the greatest gift ever, and you have the Holy Spirit in you if you are a believer, if you're a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit in you already, and that is the greatest gift, and this is where this series begins. You understand? You have been given the Holy Spirit within you and then you have a manifestation of that. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, then that's going to be manifest. It's going to be revealed. It's going to be on display for the world around you. And the way that you display the Holy Spirit in you is what we would call your spiritual gift, your divine job. You understand? It starts with the Holy Spirit in you. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? Let, let's just start right there. Being Baptist for, for about 30 years now, we've sort of ignored the Holy Spirit because let's be honest, for some of us, he just freaks us out. The, the people who get all excited about the Holy Spirit are typically the kind of people that, 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 that re, we really just sort of avoid. Uh, the, the word charismata is the name of this series, and some of you know that, that that sounds like the word charismatics, and charismatics are often kind of a part of the Christian family, and we think of them being the ones, you know, with, with giant tall stacks of hair and long skirts at the mall, and, and at church right now, they're probably passing snakes around and rolling around and jumping and screaming and speaking in tongues, and, and as far as we've been concerned, they can have all of that. The snakes and the tall hairdos, I mean, they can just keep it all if that's what the Holy Spirit brings. But, but, but you see, the problem is we have therefore ignored what is the greatest gift of all, the gift the Father gives to all of his children, the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to not understand who the Holy Spirit is, the, the Holy Spirit. I struggle to make sure I keep saying words like he, who the Holy Spirit is, because our tendency in the English language is to call the Holy Spirit an, an it. Spirit for us is kind of a word that, that sounds like an object, like an it. It's an impersonal word, and that's the limits of our language. So often you'll hear people talk about the Holy Spirit like, I could feel it come in the room. We use words like it, but you can't do that. The Holy Spirit is not an it. And if I slip and say it, forgive me. I'm wrong if I, I do that. It's the limits of our language. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Spirit is not an it. It's, it, it's not an impersonal force like on Star Wars. It's, we're not talking about anything like that. The Holy Spirit is a person. To be more technical, the Holy Spirit is, is one of the three persons that makes up the Godhead. Now, that, that, that gets us into pretty deep weeds right there. If you've been around the Christian faith and you understand that, that we believe that there is one God, one God, however that one God exists in eternity in three persons, 
It's really kind of odd math, but it's excellent theology. You understand? One God in three persons, and they are named God the, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, but three persons, as we say. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So you cannot simply divorce yourself from one of the persons of the Godhead. You can't do that. In all eternity, he is God, the Holy Spirit. All right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that even work? Three persons who are, are, are one God. Well, you know, you've probably heard us say that God is love. God is love. So, so in a very incredible way, what we're saying is that at the very heart of God, at the very heart of the Godhead, are three persons completely united in love. God the Father who loves the Son, and God the Son who loves the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit who gives love back to God the Father and the Son. This is the way Scripture explains this God who is three in one. Three persons so united in love, so united in purpose, so united in identity that the three persons are one. And the Holy Spirit is one of those persons. The Holy Spirit, he is God. He's God. So you can pray to the Holy Spirit. You can experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. And according to Jesus, it is the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Really interesting. Pay attention. Look back at the scripture, John 14. Look at verse 17. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the fact that he is leaving. But part of the comfort of what he's saying is that I'm leaving you, but you're not going to be left as orphans. You're not going to be abandoned. And this is what he said. I will ask the Father, verse 16, he will give you another advocate. The word is paraclete. We're going to come back to that. He'll never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Okay. Later he will be in you. Go, go down to verse 20. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and... I am in you. So, so notice how even in this passage, even as Jesus tries to get his disciples to possibly comprehend what's about to happen, he begins talking about how he's going to return to the Father. The Holy Spirit will come. You know him now because he's with you. But after I go to the Father, he's going to be in you. And then Jesus at the same time can say, I am in you. Do you understand? So it's, it's three persons but one God, and you can nearly interchange those. You can say that it's the Holy Spirit that is in you, but Jesus himself would say that it is Jesus who is in you. Bottom line, the Holy Spirit is, is God. He, he is Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus. He is the, the Spirit of God, and he lives in you. The, the greatest gift of all is that the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you pay attention to Scripture, it's very plain that from, from the book of Genesis on, we are created as a kind of house. We're, we're created as a temple. And, and this is why you're born. Do, do you understand? That, that you are intended to be a house for the Holy Spirit. Th this is the way you're designed. 
Your, your physical body becomes a spiritual house for God himself who lives in you if, if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, you remain empty, and that's actually quite a, a scary way to live, to be honest. But, but we're created as a house for the Holy Spirit. So, so, so get this. As Jesus says goodbye to his disciples in this chapter, read it when you get home, he says a little bit about heaven just a little bit about heaven, but mostly he talks about the gift of the Spirit inside them. So, so here's the thing. Jesus didn't live and die so that we could go live with him in heaven. That's part of it, but it's not the biggest part of it. Jesus didn't live and die so that we could go live with him in heaven. He lived and died so that his Spirit could come and live in us. You see, this is part of the glory of our salvation, this is the point of our salvation, that we could become the temple, the house, you, me, of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't die to take you off to heaven. He will. But, but the point was that he could come and live in you. Jesus says, when I'm gone, the Holy Spirit will come and live in you. You know him now because he's with you, but then he'll be in you, and I am in you. Yeah, Jesus' Spirit lives inside of us. Break it down a little bit more. One of my favorite theologians, Forrest Gump, says, stupid is as, yeah, y'all can quote Forrest Gump, but not the Bible very well, okay. Uh, stupid is as stupid does. In other words, the wisdom there is that if you really want to understand something or someone, you pay attention to what they do, okay? So if you really want to understand the Spirit, let's talk about what the Spirit does, in this particular passage, Jesus is, is speaking quite a lot about obedience. Interesting. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. All who love me will do what I say, Jesus says, on and on and on. He will teach you everything. I will remind you of everything I've told you. It's amazing. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. He says this over and over and over that, that the point of our lives is to obey Christ. To, to obey him. Well, if we're all honest, we'd probably say we want to obey him. That verse that says, if you really love me, you'll obey me, it probably bothers you a little bit because you know in your heart that you do love Jesus, but you also know, if you're honest, that you don't obey him very well. I, I don't, and, and I struggle with that. It's kind of like, Case and I were talking this week, when, when our son Wade was small, uh, I really wanted him to learn to respect women and to respect his mother. And so I knew that I had to model that. I wanted him to see me loving and respecting his mother, who at that point was the only woman in his life, right? And so sometimes Wade would, would get all mouthy. He'd say something back to his mama. He'd say something all smart. Your kids never did this, but our kid did. He'd say something smart to his mama. I'd say, hey, you're not going to talk like that to the woman I love. He'd just look at me. He'd say, well, I love her too. I'd say, well, you don't talk like you love her because that's not how a man talks to a woman he loves. I will not let you or anybody else treat the woman I love like that. And he would go, well, I love her too. Just tear him up. Well, well I love her too. And this is probably the way you feel when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll say, well, well, well I love him. I do, I do love him. Well, not like you think you do. Because the way you live isn't really the way someone who loves Jesus lives. And that's your dilemma. That's my dilemma. As much as we want to think we love him, 
We don't obey him very well, and Jesus says that obedience, that ability to walk and follow after him and after his commands, that is really what reveals our, the, the depths of our love for him. So no matter how much you say, well, I love him too, you may not. Not like you think you do, because obedience is always the test of that. And that bothers me because the point is, I, I, I do love him, but, but I lack power to obey. I'm really just not very good at doing everything that he asked me to do. I'm not very good at following everything the scriptures say. And, and it's not really my lack of desire. It's not a lack of love or longing for him. It's just the simple fact that I lack the power. I, I do not have the ability to live a holy life. I don't. If I could do it without him, I wouldn't need him. You, you with me? And so this is what you need to see. The, the, the whole topic here is obedience and how the Holy Spirit will come. And you've got to understand that the Holy Spirit is the key to your obedience. In Acts 1-8, Jesus says, you will receive power. You will receive power power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So, so, so this is the key. Do you understand? It is the Holy Spirit that enables my obedience. It is the Holy Spirit who is the power that I lack and the power that I need and now the power that I have to live a life that's going to glorify Christ. That power is from the Spirit. And, and if you are a believer, if you know Jesus, then understand, you have the Spirit in you. You now have power. You, you have it. That doesn't necessarily mean you're using it, and we should probably talk about that. I'm probably looking at a house full of believers. But I'm not looking at a house full of people, to be honest, who live lives that display supernatural power. Honestly, most of us live pretty normal, natural lives. Explain that. You have supernatural power, but you don't live any kind of supernatural life. You're kind of like, kind of like your grandma that has an iPhone, but she only uses it as a clock. You, you know what I mean? She's got, this, she's got this iPhone that has more technology than all the computers that, that sent a rocket to space. You understand? She's got it in her pocketbook, but she only uses it as a clock. See, this is like the Holy Spirit in you. You have all of the power to do everything that Christ has for you to do. You have a spiritual job assigned you by the Holy Spirit, but for the most part, you haven't found that because you have not yet fathomed the power that the Holy Spirit has placed in you. You only think about what you could do on your own, and let's all be honest, there's not much that you and I can do on our own. We're just not that much, but we have power from on high inside of us. And that is the power. That is the fuel for what he has for us to do. But for the most part, we never even consider his power. We never consider that. I told y'all the story about, about my dad when, when, when I was a kid. My dad, I guess it was midlife crisis or something. It happens to all of us, God help us. But, but my dad went through, I guess, midlife crisis, and he bought a motorcycle Y'all know Don Harris, right? He bought a motorcycle, like this giant Honda street bike. It was giant. It was awesome. It had like big, big side bags on the side for all of his gear. 
He didn't have any gear, but, but had these giant things for, for gear. And he polished that thing up. He restored that thing. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was giant. It was fire engine red and, and silver chrome that would put your eyes out. It was beautiful. And when he would start it up, it would sound like it was going to leave the ground. It was so loud. It would shake all of Woodburn. It was awesome. This was my dad. Finally, for the first time in my whole life, he was almost cool. Had a, a motorcycle, giant, giant Honda street bike. But here's the thing. Notice I said he was almost cool. Because the thing is, Don Harris had this street bike that would probably break the land speed barrier, you know, probably faster than sound and light altogether. But Don Harris never got that motorcycle out of second gear. He never, ever got it out of second gear. It would be the loudest thing coming. And you could hear him coming forever. And you'd just get tired of looking, waiting for him to get there. He'd come over the hill at Morristuff Road and just sort of scootle poop. This giant motorcycle. I mean, he could have gotten on that thing and ridden off and never come back. But no, he just didn't have anywhere to go and, and no hurry to get there. Just around Woodburn on this giant street bike. I'm not kidding you. And some of you have heard this story. One day we had company over and they said, what's that noise? I said, that's dad's motorcycle. So dad was coming from Franklin. You could hear him, but then it would take an hour to get here. So he starts coming. He's coming over the hill. He's coming. Just so slow, so slow. And, and I promise you, I'm not making this up. But my dad got to the drive. There's company on the porch. We're all, we've been watching him for 30 minutes. We're all watching him come in. My dad gets to the driveway, and he's going to turn in, but he's going so slow, so slow. When he gets to the driveway, he just turns over like this. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. That is how, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. That's how slow on a motorcycle that could have left the ground, people. Boom. Yeah. But do you understand? You have power. You have power. And you're sitting there on the pew right now. Boom. I mean, this is your life. Do you never see the way this is a contradiction of what Jesus intended to give you? Now, when you read the passage about how those who love me will obey me, you get this idea that all that means is Jesus lived and died to make you some sort of nice boy. That, that Jesus lived and died so that you'd be some sort of nice girl and, and you'd do everything and you'd be a nice person. But it's so much more than that. We talk about obeying Jesus. It's not just about not drinking and not smoking and you know, not twerking or whatever else you're trying not to do. We're not just talking about these things that, that, that you shouldn't do. To obey Jesus is so much more than that. Jesus doesn't just give you a list of things never to do, things to avoid. Jesus has a plan and a purpose. You have a spiritual job to do. It's called your charismatic, your spiritual gift. You have a divine purpose. And if you neglect that, if you're ignorant of that, then you can't possibly say you're obeying him. He just didn't die to make you some sort of nice boy. He died to make you a dangerous man of, of God. You understand? A man of power, a man of purpose. 
You're supposed to be out there doing some damage to the devil and his work in the world, but, but you're not very dangerous. I have to say you are some of the tamest people I've ever seen in my life. Where's the fire? Where's the flame? Where's the power? You receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you. Honestly, if most of us were going to say that the Holy Spirit is in us, we'd have a really hard time presenting evidence to the fact. Supernatural power in a life that attempts nothing supernatural? You're going to have a hard time explaining that, aren't you? But it's never about you. When it comes to the Holy Spirit in you, when it comes to his special job for you, do you understand? It's, it's never about you. It's never going to be on display in such a way where people walk away talking about you. If you read John chapter 14, as I encourage you to do, you'll notice that the Holy Spirit's job, what he's going to do is just keep pointing back to Jesus. He's just going to keep on going back, and he's going to remind to everything that Jesus taught. And he's going to point back to Jesus in such a way where Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is in you, I will be in you. That They're one and the same, but the Spirit always has this tendency to, to reflect back, to point back to Jesus. So that when you're living this life empowered by the Spirit, it actually becomes a life that's all about Jesus. It's, it's all about Jesus. You probably don't even walk around talking about the Holy Spirit so much because the Holy Spirit has this way in your heart of turning everything about you back to Jesus, back to glorifying Him, back to loving Him, back to obeying Him. The Holy Spirit will make your life all about Jesus. So before we start this process of talking about your spiritual job, your divine gift, probably you've got to understand that you can't just seek the gift, you have to seek the giver. That you can't just seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you have to desire to live in the Spirit. You, you can't just simply say that you don't know what it is the Spirit wants you to do. You have to fall in love with Jesus. When you love him, you will obey him. You will find your purpose. Loving Jesus will lead you to the purpose Jesus has for you. Loving him will teach you what it means to walk in the Spirit and let the Spirit's power fuel your life. See, all the Spirit is going to do is live in you, turn you on for Jesus. So right now, I just want you to ask yourself a few questions. Do you know Jesus? Do you love him? Because Jesus says right from the start, your life's going to display that. If you truly love him and know him, that is going to be on display in the way you live your life. So I want you to think about the way you live your life. Jesus says that, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll have power. Most of us live lives of utter powerlessness. We don't have power over our own mouths. We don't have power over our habits, our hang-ups. We don't have power to forgive the people that we hate. We 
live as rather powerless people, how do you explain the fact that Jesus said you'll have power, but you and I continue to live so powerlessly? Something tells me that what's missing is our awareness of the Holy Spirit, our surrender to the Holy Spirit in our lives. When it comes to the Holy Spirit and spiritual things, the Bible says two things. The first is, don't be ignorant. Many of us, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, are ignorant. But it's willful ignorance. It's not because we're not intelligent. We don't want to know him because to know him is to love him, and to love him is to begin obeying him. And to obey him means that we're no longer in charge of our own lives. I'm asking you to surrender control of yourself and give it over to the Holy Spirit. Don't be ignorant. And do not neglect the spiritual gift that God has hidden in you. In other words, that job he's given you, Never let that job go undone. Remember, Jesus says, if you obey me, then we know that you love me. And those who love me, the Father will love. I and the Father will come and make our home with them. Pray with me. Jesus, forgive us. We neglect our gift because, Lord, honestly, we neglect the giver. The reason we do not know our spiritual purpose, our divine job, is simply because, Lord, we really don't know you very well or recognize your movement in our lives. You have given us supernatural power, Lord, but most of us never attempt anything that would require supernatural power. We live very small, natural lives. And the smallness and naturalness of our lives is a contradiction of the gospel, which proclaims that the Spirit comes to live in us and brings power. Lord Jesus, make us your witnesses. Make our lives all about you. Lord Jesus, will you capture all of our attention and all of our affection? May we love you with whole hearts and serve you with consecrated lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. Amen.